Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reese-Manel, and I'm one of your hosts and producers. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein, other host and producer of Radio Survivor. And today, we're going to design a class on podcasting live here on the show. And, and that's because, one, we are podcasters. We are radio producers. We are qualified to teach classes on <laughs> podcasting. And, and we both have given uh, classes on podcasting. I'm going to be giving a class on podcasting this summer. So Again. we thought we would share some of this as we kind of put it together with uh, you, the listener. And, and the reason why, why I think this is a legitimate way to spend some time on the show is that I mean, this show is about community radio, college radio. It's about DIY radio, whether it's a podcast, internet radio, or over over broadcast. And podcasting is sort of the ultimate sort of DIY radio as it exists now, right? It's the place with the with really the lowest barrier to entry, where anyone mm-hmm. with, with a minimum investment of money certainly, and and more of an investment in time, get started. And start producing and and many more people are doing it all the time, but it's also a gateway to doing college, community radio, internet radio, all sorts of uh, different types of uh, community centric uh, broadcasting. And so we thought, well, you know, that's part of our aim here is to, you know, not just uh, sort of talk about. Uh, you know, things like uh, policy, which we will still on the show, but also get at some of the actual kind of nuts and bolts of doing. I th- I come at it from the opposite direction that I think that our experience in college radio and community radio uh, qualifies us to give some advice to podcasters. Sure. I mean, um, I think that's legit, but yeah. I, I wanted to kind of put why I thought it makes a good topic for the show, not, uh, not necessarily why. Not why we're qualified <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, the, the, we, could, we could question, we could have a long discussion about how to, uh, you know, on what authority rests, but I think that that would be a tangent that that would be more boring. Than why do you else. trust anyone you hear on the radio these days anyway? Yeah, indeed. Right. That's, well, that's in the zeitgeist, but, nor, but it's not on today's episode of Radio Survivor. <laughs> well, you know, you're free to question us. We're glad to take any question, your challenge. You can challenge us on social media at Radio Survivor. You can send us an email directly, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. So we, we don't want to uh, build a wall here. We, we don't want to uh, decide that we're only going to issue our, our press statements uh, written out so they can't be mistaken. We're willing to be challenged and we're willing to take your questions. You could even record a commentary. Uh, you could just do it right on, on yeah. your on your phone and uh, using your voice memo app and send it to us and we'll be glad to air it. So just so you know, it is a two way street uh, question our authority, but in the meantime, we're doing the show <laughs> authority. We're also, uh, we're willing to speak our ideas out loud and change our minds in the midst of this hour of uh, radio and podcasting. We, we, we very well may do so. Also though, uh, we're going to uh, catch up on the topic of, Last week's program, uh, podcast number 90, which we discussed network neutrality with our friend, Professor Christopher Terry from the University of Minnesota. Uh, A lot has happened since we recorded that episode. Uh, Thank you, John Oliver. (laughs) John Oliver. He did it again. I wrote a piece at radiosurvivor.com in which I said, John Oliver is the hero the internet needs. And... The reason why I say that is because on his HBO show uh, last week tonight, he did a segment about an open internet on network neutrality. 
and in so doing helped break the FCC website again because thousands upon thousands of people went to file their thoughts on an open internet with the FCC. Christopher did mention that uh, in the interview, the the first time that John Oliver broke the internet by getting people to comment to the FCC about network neutrality during the Obama administration. And then, and then John Oliver did it again. Yes. And, and I think we really needed him to do it again to, to bring the subject to the forefront and what he does in the segment. And of course, if you haven't seen it, uh, we'll put it in the show notes. It's available on YouTube is he breaks it down. He takes what is otherwise seems like (laughs) an arcane policy issue and he breaks it down in, into very easy to understand pieces along with lots of four letter words and lots of references to, uh, chairman Ajit Pai's, uh, monstrously large Reese's peanut butter cup coffee mug. It reminds me, I can't remember when I, I saw like, a, I think it, it must have been back in my Bay Area reporter days that I, I watched a news piece that, that was probably about like housing policy or, or the size of uh, how big an apartment complex can be on a, on a new piece of land, you know, uh, the kind of thing that is so uh, dry and difficult to explain that they don't even bother to try to explain it in the context of a three minute news story but they started to do so on this one piece and then uh and then they had a dancing cartoon baby just thrown into the mix (laughs) just to sort of make sure you were still paying attention yeah just to make sure that you were still paying attention i thought this is so insulting but john oliver's show does that with um with really funny uh, and relatively obscene jokes. Yes, and the tangents are all actually not really tangential. They're actually related to the subject at hand and the personalities in question. Uh, the interesting thing is, though, that the that the FCC website did go down in the hours uh, that came after the first broadcast of the show uh, on a Sunday night. The FCC claimed that it was experiencing a distributed denial-of-service attack and this is uh, also known as a DDoS attack. And this is when, uh, you know, computers, bots that have been take, that have been taking over on the Internet flood a website with traffic to basically make it inaccessible, uh, either either for a while or semi-permanently. I'm trying to think of the metaphor. It's basically just um, the most ac- – the most um – accessible form of hacking that there is. Yeah, it's, it's as if like... Anybody could learn how to do a DDoS attack right, if they wanted to. Right, it's as if 300 people tried to flood a revolving door, right? <laughs> Eventually, it would just get stuck. And uh, however, the FCC, interestingly, has provided no evidence that there was a DDoS attack. Should we tell people about why this, uh, why this matters? What network neutrality... I mean, people need to people. I mean, I think people are hearing about it and then they know that it's about an open Internet. And it's the basic principle that traffic on the Internet should be treated equally, regardless of where it comes from and who is sending it. So long as it's legal in the United States, the Internet that we have is controlled by a very small number of very large corporations. And it would be a problem for people who like free speech and the free flow of information for those large corporations, those monopolies and duopolies to actually also now control what goes over those uh, airwaves, those those pipelines that they control. And what's changed tremendously in the last 10 years is that increasingly the companies that supply you your internet 
also supply you lots of other services. They're getting into the content business. And and are not just so, you know, at one point Comcast was really just a cable company. Right. So they were providing you content from other sources from network television, from USA Network. They didn't ESPN. produce television. But now they own NBC. They produce their own content. Uh, Verizon owns Yahoo now. So it's producing internet content alongside of uh, entertainment content. They have their hands in all of this. And so it becomes increasingly uh, in their best interest, perhaps, to prioritize content they own over their pipes over some other content that they don't own, whether it comes from Netflix or Amazon or whether it might come from a community access TV station, from YouTube, from a, uh, or from like community radio, radio. Yep. or a podcast or things like that. So that's, that's why we're, we, we discuss it here on the show because we think it has the, uh, opportunity to greatly affect community media in general. And this is kind of basically what John Oliver laid out on his show in which he made the call to action. Please contact the FCC and tell them what you think. And they made it simple because the FCC's commenting system is a little arcane and requires some searching and clicking and kind of understanding the uh, the bureaucracy of the FCC. So he created a uh, direct URL. You type this into your browser. It takes you right to where you want to go. It's gofccyourself.com. So he made it super simple. Um, and then the FCC website went down. And again, the FCC claimed it was attacked, but has there's been no evidence to this to this point. And since then, there went from being about thirty thousand comments on on this proceeding, which really hasn't even formally opened yet. But we know that the head of the FCC that Trump appointed, who was uh, the the next Republican in line uh, to to head the FCC. Uh, has it out for net neutrality. Yes, yes. He's made it very clear. That's what we've talked about in the last couple of shows. And uh, so now there's half million or more comments on this, mostly pro net neutrality, pro save the open internet order. Interestingly, though, ZDNet, which is a, 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 a sort of a PC uh Website, like you know, it's it's a personal it's a comu- computer website. Yeah, computer website, <laughs> as opposed you know what to I mean. computer um, news. Yeah, uh, I forgot what PC stands for. Personal computer. Well, or or politically correct. You well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyway, yes, I can uh, only I can only keep one PC in my brain. The sort at the of time. computer news site uh, ZDNet uh, reported that they found a hundred and twenty eight thousand identical anti net neutrality comments that have been posted since uh, since basically Sunday, since that Sunday when uh, the uh, John okay. Oliver show went on. So uh, comments in favor of uh, network um – in favor of doing away with network neutrality. Yeah, what's the opposite of network neutrality? <laughs> I don't know. They don't have a word. Um, and yeah. <laughs> uh, for profit internet. So reporter Zach Whitaker started digging in, right? Because when you leave a comment, you, you're supposed to leave your name and contact information, okay? Right to to show that you're you're an actual person. And he concludes that they are all bots, meaning they they were basically automated uh, comments submitted without the knowledge of the person's name who was attached. What they did is they tried to call out two dozen of the commenters that they pulled at random. uh, And they ended up having to leave voicemails for everybody. Uh, Two called back, (laughs) one of whom said they didn't even know what net neutrality was. Another one contacted them back by Facebook and said they didn't leave a comment. But they all said, no, we didn't leave comments here. Hmm. So, you know, 
there appears to be some carpet bombing, if you will, uh, and 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 he presumes, though they they can't say that that probably that these that the names and addresses and phone numbers were probably lifted from uh, the uh, voter registration rolls. Okay. So probably automated, stripped from the act. So it could be uh, that maybe I'm making anti uh, net neutrality comments to the FCC, and I don't even know it. But the interesting thing now, and this is sort of unprecedented, in that the FCC just released a press release today as we go to recording on May 12th, saying, look at these anti net neutrality comments that oh, are being so filed. so they're touting this one. And they're not necessarily count- touting the bot ones, but it's rare – I can't remember a single time in which the FCC was releasing press releases touting the comments it was receiving, either pro or negative on anything. That's sort of like putting your thumb on the scale. Right. Which is an interesting time because we here at the Radio Survivor program, uh, we watch the FCC a little bit closer than 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 other radio programs might. We're kind of nerds about the FCC and um, – Again, Ajit Pai, who is now the head of the FCC, was there before Trump came onto the political scene, but he's acting more like a Trump appointee than uh, yeah, than what? Then <laughs> he's he's acting a little Trumpish, and it, in in ways that uh, uh, what's what's the right word again? The unprecedented. This is new territory. Uh, he's he's not behaving like the last Republican head of the FCC behaved, even though um, the policies might be similar. the The strategies that he's employing are a little bit different. Yes, and the sort of uh, press push, the the publicity yeah. push is is sort of unusual, and it's not unusual for an FCC a commissioner, chairman or not, to occasionally release an opinion piece, an op-ed, hmm. uh, but that's always under their own name, right? It's always, this is my opinion on this particular issue. And that, that is, there, there's plenty of, uh, of precedent for that. But there's a sense in which the FCC's press office is acting a bit like uh, Commissioner Pye's own uh, information service. Okay, So it's more like his own Sean Spicer, if you will, <laughs> uh, which would be sort of unprecedented. Should, I, we don't even know where Sean Spicer is going to be a week from now. I don't know. He might not be the appropriate metaphor. You know, in, somewhere uh, in Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, th- I wanted to share that little bit of news. Uh, the FCC will have a meeting on May 18th. Okay. It's their open meeting for May in which they will consider – right now it's just three commissioners, two uh, Republicans and one Democrat. Normally there's five, but it would still – in that case, it would be three Republicans and two Democrats. But right now there are only three. Uh, they are going to consider opening up uh, a proposal for rulemaking. And so this is basically will be what likely uh, – Chairman Pai, what he thinks the new so-called open internet rules should be, the changes he would like to see made. And at that point, more or less, the commissioners have the opportunity to vote to open it up. And by opening it up, it means then it will be open to public comment. It will be and then that public comment is you or me. It's also the, uh, you know, the industry. It's anyone with an interest will have the opportunity to make comments on that. And then that comment period will close 
And then there's an opportunity to submit reply comments. And that's basically when you can read through the comments that are submitted and say, well, I read what AT&T has to say about this and I think they're wrong. Or I read what Google had to say about this and here's why I think they're wrong or here's why I think they're right. And when that closes, then the FCC goes back and takes all of that, supposedly should take all of that into account and may write final set of rules. They might even open up another proposal for more comment. Uh, you know, there's a number of ways this can go before those finally get voted on by, by the FCC to become the actual rules. So to learn more about uh, the network neutrality question and what's at stake. If you didn't hear last week's show, it's uh, number 90. You can hear it at our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Just look for episode number 90 with our guest, uh, Professor Christopher Terry of the University of Minnesota. And he, that will kind of catch you up to speed. Yeah, and keep an eye on uh, media consolidation. As well, which is a whole other ownership, yes. kettle of other fish, kettle of can fish of worms that we're going to have to tackle in the coming weeks. It's on the table. It's, we know that much. Yeah, I, I'm, it, it I'm is reading on the table. about it. Uh, this FCC. Uh, it's a big meeting coming up. This is a pretty stacked meeting for May for the FCC. And again, they are sort it? of shorthanded is it in, on the East Coast. Yeah, it's in Washington. So okay. every open meeting, which is like the its monthly meeting, is in Washington D.C. They can have hearings. Hearings are something else. It's, but it's an open meeting is always at the FCC's office in Washington. Everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. This one's going to get overlooked. Yeah, well, right. It's like, <laughs> it's like the least – it's the least uh, – it's the smallest dumpster fire. Yeah. It's sort of watch me pull a rabbit out of this hat. Don't look at the other hand. Oh, the other dumpster fires are so smolderingly smoky that you might not notice net neutrality's uh, tiny dumpster fire. And you are listening – to Radio Survivor. This is the sound of strong communities. I'm Paul Reesmandel. And, uh, you know, I thought I'd tell you, you know, why, why I'm interested in all of what, all of this stuff about community radio, community media. Where are you and coming all these from? Things. You know, I'm coming at it because I've got 25 years in non-commercial radio. I did college radio. I did community radio. I did college radio again. I've been a producer. I produced a syndicated show called Media Geek which I syndicated to uh, mostly low-power FM community stations around the country for seven years. I and like how you use the word syndicated, but you it wasn't a real simple syndication right away. No, Sorry. It Inside was, joke. It was, re, it, was, it was originally just an MP3 I posted to a website and eventually became a podcast that where was, the podcast – became that, a thing that was an inside joke i was winking at paul because he was podcasting before it was called yeah, podcasting it was in 2002 you know, he was distributing a radio show using mp3s over the internet before there was such a thing as itunes yeah and uh, distributed until 2009 and then i was an advisor to the uh, college station wnur fm for five years and you know, I realized twenty uh, some years ago that paying attention to the FCC, paying attention to the industry, uh, was important for the survival of community media and community oriented media. Yeah, and where am I coming from? Well, where are you coming? My from? My name is Eric Klein, and I'm currently a freelance and podcast, a freelance podcast producer and editor. Uh, prior to the being a freelancer, I worked at an amazing community radio station in the Bay Area called KPFA, where um, I wore so many hats that I can't list them all uh, on this program. But uh, one of the things I did that I'm really proud of was uh, helping produce the Free Speech Radio News. Uh, broadcast, which is a 29-minute 
international newscast. I was also a reporter in the KPFA newsroom and a volunteer and paid uh, producer. I was a board op. Ooh, I did everything they would let me do. I worked on the really exciting uh, national programs when um, we would cover uh, Supreme Court justice confirmation hearings uh, on the national network, on the Pacifica radio network. So that's... That's where you're coming that's, from. That's what's behind me. What's in front of me is uh, is another question. Well, that's why we're going to talk about designing a podcasting class. Yeah. I'm, what's in front of me is I'm going to teach a podcasting class this summer. And, and what I think is uh, – where I want to kind of set the table here is I think that you know there's a lot of advice out there right now for someone who wants to create right. a podcast. Ooh, and I think that we are special. Why are we special? <laughs> well, I think a lot of the advice falls into two categories that are so important, so fascinating, and we usually just like – we just – toss those aside. We swipe them off the table and don't talk about them. One uh, is uh, what microphone should I buy and how should I, should I, should right. I what use, software should I use? Should I use the WordPress plugin or the blah, 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 blah. Uh, and you know, SoundCloud or, or Libsyn. The other, the other, and we're just not going to talk about that. Figure out what microphone to, that don't, you need microphones. We don't know which microphone you should get. Uh, the other thing that people talk about a lot when they talk about podcasting is marketing a podcast, how to, how to uh, win friends and influence people, how to make a living, uh, passive income just flowing uh, into your pockets, into your PayPal accounts because of your massively successful podcast. And um, we're evangelists for quite the opposite. Well, I don't know that, I'm a, that we're evangelists for the opposite so much is that we're evangelists uh, for – the medium were evangelists mm. for personal expression, uh, community expression, for bringing voices out of the wilderness and on to people's, uh, you know, right. Bluetooth speakers and headphones. And if you're able to also oh, sure. make a living, we support that entirely. We're not anti making a living, right. even a very good living at podcasting. So much is that we start from the premise of. There is something to say and there are voices to be heard rather than uh, I want to uh, be the next Bill Gates. There are reasons to consider your podcast successful even if it has less than a dozen listeners. And I, and I mean that. Yeah. And it's, it, it took me a real long time to believe it. It's not something I thought last year. But I, I believe it very strongly now that that it's it's a podcast is a legitimate thing, even if it has uh, even if it's only for one person. And why do you think that? Oh boy, well, um, because it, if it if you really do have, it's 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 impossible to put a good number on it. But if you really did have a dozen listeners and they were fully engaged in the process of listening to the episodes, it's um. That's a project that matters to those 12 people. Right. And, and, and every that's listener why, is important. Yeah. And that's why podcasting is um, – that's why podcasting is not radio because if you had 12 people uh, listening to your radio show, you're doing it wrong. Not necessarily. And, and, and that, I mean that's that's, <laughs> well, you, that's important to, to take there, – there's a corrective I think that, that should always be brought out in in looking at your download numbers. That's the numbers people th you know look at to to evaluate the popularity of their show. And 
I'm not arguing that that it's a bad thing to have lots of listeners. I think the question is to ask for what purpose, to what end do you want an hmm. audience? To what is the function of your show for those people? And to some extent, what is their function for you? What 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 is the purpose of that relationship? But it's really important. Every listener is important. We appreciate every single person who listens to Radio Survivor because we we understand. You know, if you've and this is, I think, a, a metaphor I've used before. But imagine you go to see a band you really love at a, at a, at, a, at a club or a venue, and that night there's just a terrible turnout for whatever reason. And so normally they're used to filling the house, or maybe they're used to filling, let's say, a hundred people, but only ten people show up, and then they get dispirited and phone it in. And you go to see them, and you're like, "Well, wait. Normally this band is just rocking the house, and yeah. tonight they're phoning it in." You don't feel special. You feel like you don't get valued for you. You only get valued when you're one of a hundred or a one of a, of a thousand. Yeah. My, my compliment to that metaphor is you throw a birthday party and only three friends show up. And then during your birthday party, you, uh, you're you just sour. You're, yeah. And instead of appreciating the fact that you have three friends who care about you yeah. and who are there with you, you're staring at your phone thinking about the 10 people who didn't come uh, you're really letting down the three actual people that should matter the most. The, the the three people who showed up to your birthday party are your podcast audience. Yeah. And so it's not an argument that a, a large audience isn't a great thing. It's it's an argument for the fact that any audience is a great thing. Well, and that's the amazing thing about podcasts is that sometimes the small audience is a goal. It's a, And it's a laudable goal. Like you, maybe you only want to... I was thinking about a podcast that was like if if uh, if if all you did was interview your family to gather the oral history of your family, mm-hmm. then the only audience for that podcast necessarily is is the members of your family. So you've 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 just defined an incredibly small group of people. But the value of that show is uh, it it might be the most important podcast to all the people who listen to it, even though it's only ten people. And niche media has been around as long as there's been media. If you look at a magazine stand, you will see all sorts of publications. They don't have tremendously large uh, distribution. What's a magazine stand? Because uh, <laughs> go to a Barnes and Noble. They're still What's there. A Barnes and Noble. Uh, you know, <laughs> you will kidding. see publications that are not intended for a mass audience, you know, but are you know intended for a small audience and, and it could be something relatively broad like woodworking but can get more and more specialized down the line yeah. and if that audience is there it's a great thing and often niche audiences are more tuned in more engaged and more into it because i mean you know you're part of a niche audience or what you're into is not something that has necessarily broad appeal for all, for any number of reasons and and so often you have fewer uh, programs fewer platforms to choose from that actually address the topics you're interested in or the voices you want to hear and again not not because you're wishing that uh, these things necessarily only stay niche, but but that there is a value in having that sort of niche media. Uh, you know, not that there isn't room for more mass podcasts out there and mass shows, but you know, each of those requires a certain degree, I think, of investment of time and resource, 
in order to pull off. And, and there are shows that have come, and this is a great thing about podcasting because of the, the sort of low barrier to entry. There are shows that have kind of come out from out of nowhere, sort of that become uh, fairly big hits. And what I mean from out of nowhere, it's like the people making them are not necessarily already known to mass audiences or are not already have, are, you know, known to at least a, a relatively large audience, that's into podcasting, like coming out of the public radio world, for instance, or who aren't already, you know, semi-famous or famous comedians or actors or personalities in some other medium. Uh, we've still seen that. And it's still happening year after year after year. It's the there, American dream. There's all those opportunities, but it's always <laughs> important to understand that, that it, it is, it is truly kind of roulette. You, you can, there's nobody yet who knows, uh, what is the secret sauce and formula to take a podcast made by somebody who is not already well known? Yeah, if you're not, and Ira turn Glass's it into friend. and turn it into uh, an iTunes topping show. But it doesn't mean you can't create a show that will that will have an audience that will connect with people that people will love and that will be uh, incredibly fulfilling to produce and make. Uh, you know, today or tomorrow, right? I, all of those things can happen. I think that that's sort of the the long preamble that's always necessary. I think when going in, because at least I think always to to I don't know if you have a question, but I can lead with a question here. Oh, go right ahead. And the question is always why? Why do you want to make a podcast? What is your goal? Mm-hmm. Because that is always going to be a framing question and is going to help you determine some choices that you make in making that podcast. And it goes to the parallel question. And this parallel question is the one that I don't hear asked often enough. And I think we've asked it on the show before, but I'm going to go ahead and, and put it Paul out there Paul signature podcast question. Is why should somebody listen to your podcast? Because podcasts, while they're like radio, are not radio. So right now, we're we're heard as a podcast this show, and now we're very grateful that we are heard on the FM airwaves in the Portland, yeah, it's tripping Oregon, up your argument and that, that someone area. might stumble on radio. That somebody can stumble onto our show on X-ray radio on the FM airwaves, but otherwise, as a podcast, the stumble upon factor is very low because near zero, really. near zero, because no one's going to accidentally hear it unless they walk into a room where somebody's got it on, on their Bluetooth speaker rather than listening to it on their yeah. headphones. I was thinking about how there might be a day where your argument also, um, gets grayer if, if a certain app that plays podcasts starts, uh, well, presenting well, more and random that could podcasts. Happen. And that could happen. And it, it is happening. So That's not been, even a yeah, hypothetical. You've been washing the dishes and you come back into the room and now a podcast that you didn't know yeah. about is playing. It, it is a hypothetical because you're still talking about one out of how many hundreds but of thousands chances of podcasts. Are the podcast that the app in question uh, would choose would probably be a major public would radio. Would be something that already is at the yeah. top of the iTunes charts because that's generally how these algorithms sure. are biased. Uh, so people but. do not generally accidentally hear your podcast. It is an opt-in experience. They go to iTunes, they go to Stitcher, they go to their favorite podcast app, and they specifically go to listen or to download or subscribe 
Or maybe they find it find it a link to it on Twitter, on Facebook, on, on Instagram, and that takes them maybe to your website and they listen to it on. And, and you should have a website and you should have a, the, a a little player in your website so people can listen to it right there. Mm-hmm. And that's generally how it's going to happen. They're not going to just hear it, and that's still a lot of steps before people will hear it. They they have to sort of look for it, and they're less likely to stumble upon it. So you have to provide them. One, a reason why they should listen, why they would be interested. What do you do for them that someone else isn't doing for them? An answer, you know what the answer is not, right? <laughs> the answer I hate to hear. I've, I've heard this answer working with people who I like when they're talking about their podcast aspirations. They always, they <laughs> What it, is it, what is that answer? It's, I want this to be for everybody. Or yeah, I want this to be for everybody. I don't want I don't want to exclude anybody. This is a podcast for ev- this is a podcast about extremely esoteric topic that's very niche for everybody. Right. And if you look at the iTunes charts, right, which is the the closest we have to a billboard chart really for for podcasting. And you look at those shows, you're going to see shows that clearly are not for everybody. There are not those top shows are not the big bang theory of podcasting. Thank God. Right? They are not <laughs> nor the law and order for that matter. Right? They are not top of they're not mass appeal shows. It is in part because the podcasting audience is still small compared to television or radio. But you'll see that they are not for everybody. You may even see, hey, they're not for me, because I don't listen to a lot of those top shows because they're fine, but they don't interest me as much as other shows. And so we're not here to tell you you shouldn't make a show that other people wouldn't like. But if you don't know who that audience is, then they're not going to know about your show or they're not going to know why they should listen to your show. The other answer that I really dislike is the answer starts with, well, I want people to know. People should know. Mm. Right. And that's often what I heard I've heard in radio as a uh, as a program director. Um, and, and on that sort of side of things, you hear people p- propose shows or propose uh, uh, specials. Well, people need to know about I want people to know about. Right. And on radio, you can kind of get away with that, although less and less all the time, because you have a little bit of a captive audience. People have their radio on, they listen to a show, the next show comes on, and maybe they don't turn it off right away, right? And then they'll decide whether they like it or not and change the station and turn it off, right? So you have this opportunity where you have a little bit of a bully, plat, bully pulpit, right? Where you can start giving people what you think they need to hear before they have a chance to decide for themselves whether or not they should hear it. But a podcast, it is only, I think you ought to, is unlikely to be a podcast that people go, well, I think I need to. Mm. And it's not about lowest common denominator, right? It's not about, you know, it's not about trying to make Pablum or, you know, making the Big Bang Theory. No offense to anyone who likes that show. I've enjoyed it and it occasionally makes me laugh. (laughs) Uh, But it's not about making something, you know, sort of trying to iron out all the kinks or trying to make it, uh, you know, safe as milk. It's, my my friend who uh, worked as a professional uh, doing that called it turd polishing. <laughs> right. It's not about that at all. It's really about starting with who is that audience? What do I want to accomplish? What will be useful to them that I can deliver? Because frankly, if 
if you're not really delivering something that might be useful to somebody and, and entertainment is useful, right? Yeah. Uh, stories are uh, useful. The st- stories are useful. Distractions from the everyday are useful. Um, but if you're not pro- supplying that, then, then you can ask why make a podcast. And an answer could be, I just want to make art. I want to make sonic art. I want to do this and I don't care whether people like it or not. And that's great. Yeah. If you listen, if you if, make, if you make a very entertaining podcast, that's just for you. If you listen to it more than twice after you made it, great success. And that <laughs> you and did it. My only caveat is uh, it is probably not in your best interest to watch the download numbers too closely. Yeah, right. Don't, right. Don't give up just because no one else listened to it. Right. I mean, you know, but that's that's always been. I mean, you know, this is this is not anything new in the world. We're not we're not we're not making some great discovery. I mean, I think most artists at some point have had to confront that. Paradox between making art that you want to make and whether or not there's an audience. Sure, but because podcasts are um, a new art form, there's still a get rich quick mentality yeah, yeah. somewhere lurking. I'm thinking people are probably catching up to the idea that uh, there's an awful lot of podcasts that uh, that don't have the audience uh, to get onto the charts at all. Um. Yeah, but you know, but and also though that there are many people, many many people who who feel themselves to be successes with podcasting, who you don't see on the charts. There are many shows that are successful that achieve their aims, and in many cases are earning somebody a living that you don't see on the iTunes charts. That they don't measure in the the top one hundred or two hundred any in any category. Those shows exist because people have figured out what they need to accomplish with it. In the same way that there are, you know, working musicians who go on tour and are making a fine living, whether or not they have a major label contract, whether or not they've ever had a billboard hit. And I think the same goes for podcasting. So you're listening to Radio Survivor. I'm Paul Reese-Bendell. With me is Eric Klein. And we are designing we're designing a podcasting oh class my gosh, did we with ans- you here so on the show. We've talked about reasons uh, – We, we talked about reasons to keep going if it's small. We talked about ways to approach the work uh, before you start. And and things to think about before you start, right? And and the reason why I think we, we sort of give that preamble to be willing to think small is that every show grows one listener at a time. You have to have one listener before you have two. You have to have 10 before you can have 20 and you have to have 10,000 before you can have a hundred thousand. And thinking about it in those terms, I think makes it more approachable in many ways because it's not this massive wall that you're, that you're trying to climb. It's stairs that you can climb one step at a time as you sort of grow your show and and figure out what it is you want to do. And because I also think the great thing about podcasting as it's developed is that it is serialized and not serialized as in the podcast serial, but that it's one after another, after another, after another. That your next chance at a podcast is the next time you decide to sit down and record one. 
you're, you're not limited. And here's where podcasting for someone who's sort of uh, might otherwise do community radio also does community radio college radio or something like that is different, right? Because typically in a radio station, you're a bit limited by the number of hours in a day, the number of, of days in a week, number of weeks in a year, and how much of that time is allotted to you on a station. With the podcast, you're unlimited. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in a comparative sort of way, as many hours of podcasting you want to do is as many hours of podcasting you can do. You might want to decide uh, what, what you can do or what you want to do, but there's always a chance to give it another shot. There's always a chance to kind of refine, come back at it and do it again and get better and better and better and better. I think it's really instructive to take some uh, popular podcasts that aren't radio shows. So, you know, putting aside, say, like a This American Life, but listening to like a WTF with Mark Marin, or even like a Nerdist or something like that, that, that shows that grew as podcasts that are very popular now and go back and listen to an episode two or listen to an episode 12. If they're not behind a paywall. If they're not behind a paywall. <laughs> but many are not still. Or sometimes some of the things are up on YouTube, so you can go go look there. <laughs> Pro uh, tip. Go listen and and hear the difference and hear how maybe the format was different. Hear how maybe right. the quality wasn't as good or the interviews weren't as good or you could tell the chemistry between the hosts was still developing and they're still figuring it out. And even though podcasting is now more popular than when, say, the Nerdist got started – um, it doesn't mean that you don't still also have the opportunity to learn and grow, that you ha- you don't have to necessarily come out of the gate with the most polished product. And that may or may not actually get in the way of building a listenership. Frankly, it, there's not necessarily this one-to-one ratio of you put in X hours of production time and polish and whatever else, and that equals X number of listeners. There's plenty of polished shows that don't get listened to and plenty of shows close to the top of the charts that aren't that polished, frankly, but are interesting, engaging, and connect with their audience. And that brings people along and they feel like they have a reason to listen, uh, whether it's because, you know, it helps them get through their commute or get through their chores or because uh, it is sharing information that they really want to have. In a podcasting class where you have roughly 12 hours. 12 hours. Yeah. Two, two days, 12 hours. I mean – we, we've, we've gotten out of the way sort of um, disabusing people of a, a notion that they might have uh, that comes maybe more from uh, from what it was like to, to dream of having a radio show mm-hmm. right these aren't these aren't your radio broadcasting dreams these are podcasts um, I think it's also important to teach people uh, interview skills. I think it's also fun. So that's that's a fun one, and I'm not necessarily uh, here to 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 dig into that too much. Like what what goes into a good interview, and and why getting good at an interview is a podcasting skill. But I need to I need to mention it. I also um, I'm really proud of the insight that I think uh, the best podcasts are. Um, are relationships that you are eavesdropping on 
between mm-hmm. between people, between friends usually, or sometimes people that uh, maybe their only relationship is the podcast. But um, I can think of so many examples. But really, uh, if you're going to start a podcast with another person, uh, that 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 um, exploring that relationship is really uh, one of the one of the primary uh, good things about that podcast. And then if you're lucky, as far if you want to grow your audience, then uh, maybe maybe you're the kind of person that other people would want to to eavesdrop on in those relationships. I'm thinking, gosh, I, I don't even want to make a list. There's a lot of great podcasts where that where that's the example. Where um, well, there's like never not funny uh, is I think a show that that comes to mind with uh, with Jimmy Pardo, who's the warm up guy for the Conan Show, and and his producer and co host Bat Belknap. It's it's those relationship that I think really really drives that show. Or uh, you know, there's the show like The Read, yeah. uh, which is uh, right. hosted by Kid Fury and Crystal, uh, who are both uh, queer young African Americans, and their take on pop culture and politics in the world and their experience. Uh, it's that you're, you're you're right. You really are eavesdropping on their conversation and getting to know them as people, and and also you know you want to hear their take on something. You're well, it's like, well, what are they? What is what what are Crystal and Kid Fury going to say about this? Yeah, right? that's something I want to hear. I'm also thinking about um, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, mm-hmm. where uh, which actually we we interviewed Zara Norbash of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, a, a podcast with um, a lot to say. <laughs> There's a lot to say about Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, the podcast. But uh, one of the things, the reason I bring it up at all is that uh, Zara and her co-host. Um, uh, Whose, whose uh, name escapes me? Uh, they, their their relationship almost exists entirely as a as a component of the call that they make that they record for this show that goes out to the community that appreciates it. Um, That's like the show "Call Your Girlfriend," which is based upon that oh, exact relationship between the two hosts, and it's it's a popular show. Uh, you know, and and I think increasingly what I what I like seeing in, in podcasts uh, is the immersion of more women and more people of color. Uh, you know, as we sit here as, as two, as two white guys <laughs> doing this particular podcast, we hope that, that, that this, that, that nevertheless we're helping, uh, in our own little way, tiny way, uh, encouraging people to, to take the podcasting microphone into their own hands there. And I think that that's been a great part of podcasting is you don't have to convince a program director or a station manager or a curator or anyone else that your show should exist. The only person you need to convince is yourself and, and your, and, and your, your, your partners in the mm-hmm. endeavor and then do it. And then maybe try to convince some folks you think would like to listen to it. But that's the great, that, that is that great part of podcasting. It's also in some ways the responsibility of podcasting. In that no one's pre-built an audience for you. If you if you get onto a radio station, they've ostensibly built an audience for you. You get to partake of that audience in a way, or you get to reach out to that audience. And unless you join a network, which does happen, or you know you otherwise are working in sort of a podcast collective of sorts, uh, if you're starting out as a solo podcaster, uh, the audience building is up to you yeah i mean a lot it's of an opportunity and a responsibility a lot of nice i mean you can't really um you can't teach this but it's awful nice if you are a uh 
if you have other things that you've done. So if 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 you blog and people read your blog, then uh, then your ability to build an audience off of podcasting is uh, is or greatly. you have friends on Facebook or Instagram right. or Twitter or MySpace. Yeah, back to back to good Muslim, bad Muslim. That that podcast I think launched successfully entirely based on a, a Twitter community, a group of people who cared about these two individuals. Uh, and what they had to say yeah, because they'd they become uh, prominent, smart voices and funny voices as well on Twitter. And they sort of leveraged their, that into what they do on the podcast. It's not necessarily preconditioned that you have a, a big following. But you also think about the fact that, that you know, your friends <laughs> might want to hear your show and might be willing to listen to your show uh, family. And they might be willing to tell people about it. Think about the audiences you already know because – that's completely legit. Every, 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 I think, stand-up comedian or actor has started out with, you know, filling the house for their first performance uh, with friends yeah. and family very often. Paul, we started off, we have about eight minutes left, and I started off by taking uh, podcast marketing off the table, mm -hmm. but now I'll put it back. Well, so if I were to design a 12-hour course, yeah. right, I would want to leave that marketing part to the very end. <laughs> And here's why. Yeah. I think you should have your idea and you should have your audience and you should have worked out a plan for how you're going to produce your first three episodes before you even begin to think about marketing. And, and, and there would be people who disagree with me. There'd be some people who would uh, say that the marketing should be the first thing you come up with. Maybe uh, on your third podcast. Right. And <laughs> I'm not saying that and I'm not saying that you have to have all three podcasts recorded yet. I meant your third as in the third separate notion of why right. not, not your third episode, your third mm -hmm. podcast. Do a hundred episodes of the other two podcasts before you worry about marketing from uh, day one on right. on your third podcast. Well, because the first question I have, because if you figured out this plan, who are you why are you podcasting? Who are you podcasting? who and with and and how are you going to what, what are those shows going to start to look like what's going to be in them well now you can ask the question well that audience who are they what is what in a more specific way what's the profile right because an audience is not a mass an audience is a group of individuals who are these people Right. Get a sense for who they are, because to some extent you need to know where they are. And mostly it's virtual in this case. Right. It, it will be people who have communities online. But in, in, in some cases, you may be podcasting for a particular geographic community like Bainbridge Community Broadcasting. Episodes 17 and uh, 15. Something we talked about Bainbridge community. Yeah, broadcasting. we'll put that in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Uh, so you may be talking about a geographic community, in which case you may be actually thinking in that sort of way where do I put flyers? Where do I put handbills? Where might I get a listing? In uh, uh, you know, an alternative weekly or or in somebody's newsletter, right? Where where is my audience? How do I reach them and let them know about my show? And how do I do so in a way that's that will welcome them in, meaning that they don't think I'm a spammer that they don't feel like you're just uh, that I'm just, you know, taking up their time and uh, needless distraction, a way in which news of this podcasting, this podcast existing 
will be welcomed, right? I mean, I, we've all had that experience where we're like, oh, I didn't know that's coming out, whether it's a movie or a television show or, or an album or, or a book or something. And maybe it's something, you know, it's just the, the next in line, uh, a sequel or it's by a favorite author. But there's sometimes you hear about a, a book. I know it's happened to me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, a book about that. I need to read that. I, I didn't know until I heard that there's going to be a book about that. How do you find the audience that's going to feel that way about your podcast? It's going to go, oh, my goodness. Like for us, that someone goes, wait, a podcast about community radio? Wait, a podcast that, about college radio? Oh, my goodness. I need to hear that. And we, we, I mean, you know, we don't have our heads in the clouds. We know that's probably not 10 million people. But we know it's hundreds or thousands of people who are likely out there, at least in the United States and the English-speaking world, if not beyond, uh, who would say, oh, wait, so it's about – I care about community radio. I, I dedicate a lot of my time and energy to it as a listener, as a board member, as a producer, as a DJ, as a volunteer. And and gosh, I'd like to know more about it, right? So thinking backwards that way, how – that's the question for marketing is how – who is going to think like, oh, my gosh, I need to hear that. And, and you make sure that they know about your show. So rather than necessarily carpet bombing people with advertisement or or just uh, you know flooding your Twitter feed or, or otherwise sort of using it's the a good kind way of, to lose followers uh, exactly think about how you are you know what we would say in marketing targeting how do you make sure the people who who actually want your message who are interested in what you're doing will know that it exists. So that you're basically being respectful, I think, of their time and attention, not not instead sort of taking their time and attention for granted and abusing it. Don't be the tabula and outbrain of podcasting. I don't get that reference. Tabula and out. You ever see at the end, at the bottom of like a lot of websites, there'll be all these like really terrible like oh, like yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, suggested stories. They'll be like such and such actress was on this show in 1992. You won't believe what she looks like now, and it's just garbage. That's Tabula and Outbrain. It's a paid service that places those ads onto things that I think just simply abuses your attention because it doesn't. It sends you to something that is terrible in most you, cases. You instantly learn not to click the next time yeah yeah no matter how tired you are (laughs) and and how much you really want to see what the girl on full house looks like now right uh exactly so you don't want to be that version for podcasting right you want to respect and be respectful of the time and attention of your potential audience and then your actual audience i think what else would you get into a podcast class well so you know, right. So we want people to make that plan. We want them to really think about how you go forward, right? Because not everyone necessarily even does interviews, although that's if you're going to do sort of a fact based, if you're going to do sort of a nonfiction yeah, podcast. I think this is a nonfiction podcasting yeah. class. Yeah. So you definitely want to get into interviews. And again, I think thinking about interviews in that really kind of bottom up and um, kind of way, which is why, why would you talk to this person? Like really to think about – often people go about interviews like, well, I want to get somebody famous, right? I want to I want to talk to famous people and that's fine if you have a genuine interest and you think you have an audience that wants to hear from them. Talking to famous people for the sake of talking to famous people doesn't necessarily bring an audience like you think it will. That, that That's a big lesson. But if there's a reason, then it might work. A great reason often to have a podcast and to book interviews is to talk to people who you think are interesting and you think there's some something to learn from. 
So talk to people, not because you know the answers, but because you don't know the answers. And it's a great for many people, because not everybody is gregarious and outgoing. Not everybody uh, is, is great at cold calling someone just to ask them questions. But people can be very generous to sharing their time when they know it's going for a podcast, when other people beyond just you have an opportunity to benefit and enjoy. That's why people talk to the press and we'll talk to a blogger and we'll talk to a podcaster, radio host or television host, right? It's this idea of not only will the person they're talking to benefit from the conversation, but that many more people will benefit from the conversation and that they might benefit back by having a broader audience and maybe making connections with people they might not have made otherwise, uh, maybe creating a community in the process. So thinking about you know, who, who you want to interview, because there is a little bit in the prep, I think, between interviewing somebody who is used to be interviewed in yeah. being interviewed, which might be a, 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 an expert in some field or an actor or a singer or a musician or, professional or something. communicator, or professional communicator as one might be. Uh, but you may also be interviewing people who've never been interviewed before. And, and I think that there is, there's a little different prep and a little bit different uh, kind of right. execution. You have on to be those ready to, to throw the prep out uh, if someone surprises you. If they give you a lot of short answers, you have to be ready to you have to be ready to think on your feet and to draw them out longer. And if they give a lot of long answers, you got to think: When am I going to jump in so we can uh, cut them off from this particular stream? Because I don't want to spend three hours on this interview. Yeah. You know, and uh, the great thing about a podcast typically is that it's not live, right? That you do have the opportunity to edit. And I think it's good to talk about editing. Yeah. From not just the nuts and bolts perspective, but sort of from an ethical perspective. Oh, interesting. Right. Right. To think about how editing should serve the truth. Yeah. Allow basically. people to be the best versions of themselves. Exactly. With, and yeah, not, and not, not change to, their words for not them. to change their words, not to have them say things they didn't say. Um, and you know, depending on whether you are counting yourself as a hard journalist or something on the, or something a little less on the hard journalism side, the extent to which, uh, you would want your interviewee, your subject to have some say over what gets left in or not. Yeah. That's always a nice thing to do if you have the time. Well, Paul, thank you so much for uh, helping me plan out this class. It wasn't... I hope we did. I, I spent a lot of time on, on that uh, on the preamble. Well, that's that's your big... Uh, it's, yes, that's it's, your big... It's my hobby pick. horse. Yeah. It's my hobby you horse. You rode it again. It was not a waste of time to ride that horse down the lane one more time. Uh, thank you so much to everyone for listening. My name is Eric Klein. This has been Radio Survivor. I'm with- Paul Reisman. Now, please drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. Let us know what you think of the show. Let us know if you have anything uh, that you would like to say to us. We'd love to hear from you. And you can find out how to support the show at radiosurvivor.com slash support. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>